0: On this episode of AvTalk, we look at the signs of recovery around the world as aircraft are reactivated and passenger numbers begin to rise. And we chat with Gabriel Lee about how airlines and storage professionals safely store and reactivate aircraft. Hello and welcome to episode 87 of
1: AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with... Jason Rabinowitz. And that, that was an interesting intro. I like that. I think I was going for like baseball.
0: I've, I've, been yeah. missing, I've been missing baseball. And outside of just missing everything else in life, especially I've been missing baseball. Right now is the time of year where I like to, uh, to take in a baseball game or two and, and enjoy an overpriced hot dog and an extremely overpriced beer just for the sake of nostalgia.
1: Yeah, well, the way things are going this week, there will either be or not be, but probably not maybe, a baseball season. So, that's good. Yes,
0: that that sounds nearly as confusing as what's happening in the aviation industry. So, I like to think that things are the same all over the place. Yeah, everyone has no idea what they're doing. Not to be confused with normally everyone having no idea what they're doing. At least, this is usually a, people a have a semblance
1: kind. of an idea of what they should be doing, whether or not they actually are doing it or not. Now, it's just nobody knows what they're even supposed to do. So, yeah. Yep that that. What sums are we even up. doing here? <laughs> I have no idea. How are you doing, sir? I'm fine. The weather's nice. Can't really go outside or do much, but the weather's nice, so that's good. It's fun to enjoy the, the nice weather from the inside, I guess. Yeah, I see the occasional airplane out my window. That's as close as I've gotten to one in about 100 days now, so that's also nice.
0: Yeah, I, I think we're all – almost all of us are over that 100-day that mark, and it's, it's certainly withdrawal symptoms are setting in.
1: Very much so. I think it was March ninth was my last flight. So it's it's it's, it's been well a while. over three months now. Yeah, we'll we'll get back eventually.
0: I'm in a hurry to get back, but I'm not in a rush. If that makes any sense, I you know. Uh, I,
1: well, you also have like a family and children and stuff. So traveling for you is a little different than it is for me. Well, but even so, I mean, like I really want to do it again, but
0: I also don't want to do it again until I feel safe. And right now, seeing. Evidence of of people out and about in airports and on flights who are not, in my mind, taking proper precautions has been a little unsettling, and so I, I think I'm going to be you know staying away for the foreseeable future.
1: Yeah, it's not great, and I'm guessing it varies country by country, region by region. But I did ride the subway for the first time since. March 14th here in New York City. And there was about probably 99% of the passengers I did see were wearing a mask. And I've got to say, just riding the train for about 30 minutes with a mask on, I would not want to repeat that for a 14-hour long-haul flight. It's unpleasant even for 30 minutes, but you got to do what you got to do. So I am not rushing back into leisure flying, especially long-haul anytime soon, as long as uh, wearing a mask is – prudent idea.
0: Yeah, i I guess the the whole mask thing to me seems like such an easy thing to do. And I haven't understood why it it's sure it's uncomfortable, but I, I don't get why there are so many people vehemently against it. When it it's literally so
1: easy. It is quite literally the bare minimum least you can do. Yeah, you're, you if can you're do. listening to this and you have for whatever reason decided to go out and about without a mask, please stop doing that. And if this offends you and you don't want to listen to the podcast anymore because we're telling you to wear a mask, uh, get lost. We don't want you listening anyway, or at least I don't want you listening. But please just wear a mask if you're going anywhere near an airplane or public transportation.
0: Yeah, it, it's good to be considerate of others. And, and there are a number of illustrations that use some excellent tongue in cheek humor. I'm using examples. To provide the way in which masks do help, I certainly encourage people to wear them, especially if you are flying. If you have flown long haul, especially with a mask, we would love to hear from you. Podcast yeah, at fr24.com. Like? I would love to hear your experience especially if you've flown, you know, for any length of time, you know, internationally, especially what was it like, what things happened at immigration checkpoints and health checkpoints and things like that. We would love to hear from you. If you're willing to come on the show and talk about it even better, let us know that if you write in just so that we can give listeners an idea of of what it's been like and some of the things that airlines are doing to, uh, to hopefully to keep their folks safe. Let's stick with COVID and some of the news around that, and I think that that we can stick with mask wearing. Jason, I'm going to go out of order here for a moment. I apologize. Oh, uh, we can do that. That's an option. We, we, we can. So let's talk about the news that kind of, kind of came out this week, where some of the the larger U.S. airlines got together and said, "We're going to if if you're not wearing a mask, we are going to." Take it upon ourselves to say that we uh, reserve the right to not allow you on our aircraft anymore,
1: yeah, so the most airlines pretty much globally at this point have recommended or required wearing masks on board, but they have really not enforced it for the most part we've seen we've all seen pictures of people in the airport terminals that are not wearing masks or are on board without masks simply as we discussed before because they are either ignorant or selfish and that they do not want to wear a mask. But airlines, at least in the US, the, the three majors, American United and Delta, are putting some teeth into their policy that if you do not comply with this regulation, they will possibly after an investigation use their powers under the contract of carriage and Venue for at for some duration from future flights, which is really the most they can do without making what would you call it a, a federal case of it? Because it is a federal law that you have to comply with. Flight crews on board, and if they tell you to put a mask on and you don't, you are disobeying an order from a flight crew, and that does have federal implications to it. But they, for the most part, airlines have told flight attendants not to be confrontational. Though some airlines in the US, I think it is Southwest has actually diverted flights due to passenger or a single passenger not wearing a mask. I may not have my facts 100% on that one, but I I think I heard that. So It's good to see airlines really putting some teeth into this and hopefully they'll set a precedent pretty soon.
0: Yeah. It'll it'll be interesting to see whether or not they actually ban anyone because all the guidance that I've seen beyond kind of explaining to the the flight crews what to do in the event of passengers not wearing a mask. It's basically said, this should not be escalated. De-escalate the the situation as much as possible. Don't even tell the passenger that you're making a note that they're refusing to wear a mask and and continuing to do so. We'll deal with this after the flight. So it'll be interesting to see. I think one of the things that will be really interesting to see is if other passengers get involved. You know, and what happens there. Hopefully, nothing bad. And it would be great if other passengers getting involved with being like, hey, can you just put on a mask? That would be great. And people listened. Wouldn't it be so nice if that happened where, yeah, where someone would just be, said, yeah, please? And then they said, okay.
1: An interesting parallel to bring up the uh, the subway here again in New York City. The MTA actually did recommend to passengers that if you see someone riding but not wearing a mask, to take a picture and publicly shame them. I, for one, do not recommend that because any New Yorker knows you do not make eye contact or do anything confrontational like that in the subway. Otherwise, you may find yourself in front of a train where you don't want to be. But doing it on board an aircraft is, is interesting because you're probably not dealing with the Too many emotionally disturbed people, like you might be in the subway. But I'd be very interested to see if, you know, a a group of passengers band together and start yelling at someone who's not compliant.
0: Yeah, it'll happen at some point because, of course, it will,
1: uh, and it will be
0: live streamed on Twitter. Oh, the beauty of uh, the beauty of uh, in-flight Wi-Fi. Yeah, we'll see it in real time. So let's take a step back and look at the industry a little bit wider. The first place that COVID really impacted air traffic was in China. Uh, the third week in January, in, into the first week, third third week in January, falling into into February, where things kind of bottomed out, and then and then started to rise in March. So the traffic numbers are in. Uh, for the big three Chinese airlines, Air China, China Southern Airlines, and China Eastern Airlines, we talked about this a little bit in the last episode where we talked about the number of flights. But now we're looking at the actual passenger numbers, and so the numbers. So, China Southern Airlines carried nearly 12 million passengers in January. In February, all three of the major airlines carried a little more than 1.5 million passengers and now China Southern's rebounded back to about 6 million. So so still down, you know, 50% from from what it was in January, but but slowly rebounding. And and we've seen that in the number of flights as well where, you know, Chinese airlines at the especially the busiest airports have really been increasing the the number of flights. Some of that has to do with in kind of an artificial inflation of flight numbers just to get things moving again um since we're you know gearing the number of flights versus the load factors and then the the other thing there is that the the recovery has been really uneven at the the largest airports uh especially kind of over the past few weeks where where Shanghai has just kind of stopped stopped growing and then with the news today on uh, let's see today's the sixteenth of June where Beijing's going back into kind of a, a regional uh, not lockdown but but suspension flight suspension and some other other places are are slowly kind of bringing flights back down so this is not something that was unexpected we've talked about second waves and things like that so it'll be interesting to see how this is handled and, and how long it lasts this time around.
1: Yeah. And, and this certainly feels like the kind of wave pattern we're going to be seeing for quite a while until a vaccine, if and when a vaccine is ready. I, I personally don't foresee an end to this anytime soon, unfortunately, but it, it's slowly getting better, which is a positive sign.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, slowly, but not necessarily surely. Things are are certainly going to take two steps forward, one step back, one step forward, three steps back, four steps forward, maybe dance in a circle. We just don't know. So to to keep up with what's happening and and how it's happening, I, I think is going to be Almost as important as seeing that things are getting back to normal, because not everything's going to come back the same, and certainly some things won't come back at all, as we've already started to see with with some of the the airline bankruptcy reorganizations, uh, reorganizations, and then some just n- not flying again. Those are the the good numbers, but certainly cautious optimism as as we move forward, which is I, th- I think become our default position. Maybe, yeah, sure. All right. Sure, sure. <laughs> and Then uh, the, the other kind of bright spot continues to be cargo. It's not fantastic news because everything is, is kind of down off of last year just based on the current state of the, the world economy. But things are proceeding apace as far as the, the demand for dedicated cargo. Additional airlines have converted – some of their passenger aircraft to dedicated cargo aircraft. The dedicated cargo flights are continuing. The airlines have been operating. And then some of the passenger flights that have restarted are being operated by aircraft that are more well-suited to cargo rather than the actual passenger demand for those routes. So it's hanging in there, but we'll, we'll see how that goes into late summer and into the fall.
1: We'll definitely have to keep an eye on airlines that have converted aircraft from passenger to freight operation to see when, if any of those will be converted back from cargo to passenger configuration. I don't believe any of that has happened, but it's got to happen eventually, right?
0: Well, I mean, one would think that they would have to bring them back to to passenger configuration, especially the ones where they've converted, I mean, I'm thinking like Air Canada, where they've converted their high-density Aircraft high density triple sevens to to cargo aircraft, uh, dedicated cargo aircraft, and, and things like that. So one would think that when the demand returns, they'll really want to you know to take advantage of those dense seating configurations. Not that any of the passengers want to take advantage of those, but I'm sure the airline will. Speaking of kind of getting back into the swing of things, like I said, today's the 16th of June. Yesterday was the 15th of June, and EasyJet flew its first flight since March. Welcome so that was, uh, that was great news to see. Let's see who else is back. Brussels Airlines is back. And some other European airlines have started to remove their aircraft uh, from storage. Uh, Swiss is pulling some of their smaller aircraft out of storage this week. Some of the uh, the Asian carriers, Jason, I think you mentioned Vietnam Airlines is is working on doing that. So there are airlines that are bringing things out. And then the US major carriers have started to pull some of their aircraft out. I know Delta was pulling things out of uh, Marana and, and Victorville and places like that. And American's getting ready to to pull theirs out as well.
1: Yeah. American has is, is been quite a bit bullish when compared to Delta and United and has pulled Quite a number of aircraft out of storage: twelve A320s, uh, which I believe were all grounded at some point; thirty-four seven thirty-sevens, ten triple sevens, and eight seven eight sevens. We don't know which variant of the triple sevens or seven eight sevens, but either way, that's eighteen wide bodies coming back online in July for the summer.
0: Yeah, it's, it's quite the change. From frankly, from this month or, or the beginning of this month. So hopefully that pays off for them. Yeah, like you said, American's been quite a bit more bullish than than United, especially than United, but but Delta's started to to pull some things out. Delta or, or United seems to be acting very conservatively overall to the recovery. so So,
1: Yeah. We're going to have to keep a very close eye on this over I guess the the months and years to come because one of these airlines is taking the right approach and one of them is taking the wrong approach and we we just don't know yet. On episode 187 of the podcast,
0: we will do a retrospective to see who was right and who was wrong.
1: There is literally no way to know right now. Exactly. it, It is super interesting to see these three airlines, which usually follow each other so very closely, one airline does something the other two follow. To see them take such divergent paths to the resumption of service is kind of unprecedented uh, and modern, I guess, in post-bankruptcy US mainline carriers. We just don't usually see things like that.
0: Yeah. I can't remember the last time that all three went such a separate way. There have been some different approaches. I, I can think of things like how they manage their their loyalty programs, or or certain things where you know Delta kind of went out uh, into left field a bit with their their fuel, their refinery purchase, and things like that. But yeah, th- this, I mean, very distinct paths for their businesses moving forward. And, and like you said, we'll we'll see who is right in, in the long term
1: maybe everyone's right, and they're just taking different paths to all eventually get to the same place. Let, let's hope that is the outcome.
0: For sure. Let, let, let us hope that is the outcome. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what corrections need to be taken and by whom to get there. But While we're talking about storing aircraft and bringing some aircraft out of storage, we sent a, a colleague to talk to airlines and some of the uh, storage professionals who, who store and maintain aircraft for a living, about what that uh, entails and and what kind of really goes into uh, storing an aircraft. And, and uh, Gabriel Lee will join us after the break, and we'll talk about what he found out talking with them, including uh, how many shoeboxes you need, and we'll, we'll figure out what that means after the break. So stay with us. Welcome back. We are now joined by Gabriel Lee, who penned an article for us on our blog recently about how aircraft are stored. We've talked on the podcast for a few episodes now about where aircraft are being stored, how many were up into the thousands. And we just talked about how some are starting to come out of storage, but we really wanted to find out more about how it actually works. We know aircraft aren't flying, but but how do you keep them in good shape on the ground? So, So Gabriel, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Yeah, thanks. Good to be here.
0: So, you talked with a few airlines and you talked with Tarmac Aerosave, which is a, a dedicated storage and maintenance provider. How, I've got a, a 737, I've got an A380. What do I need to do to, to keep it ready to go when I want to use it again?
2: Yeah. Well, there's plenty that you have to do and it's an ongoing task and it will depend on how long you're going to be parking that plane for. And while I knew about some of these things, you know, we've heard about them from airlines. It was kind of a, maybe a surprise to me to learn just how much a, you know, the airlines have to dedicate to do this if they're doing it on their own. And also that there are these companies like Tarmac Aerosave that, you know, are are sort of specialists in this. So you can kind of hand over your plane and say, look, we need this in storage. For probably three months, maybe longer, and then they will take the necessary steps, and that involves you know basically sealing up the plane, making sure that nothing's going to grow inside it, nothing's going to go get damaged by the sun, the engines are safe, the flight deck is safe you name it all kinds of steps that they have to follow, depending on the plane type, and then you know ongoing maintenance so making sure you move the plane a little bit so the tires uh, don't have issues or you know uh, running the engines every week or two depending on the plane type and then there's the whole thing of uh, getting it back up and running when it's time and and that how long that takes and how complicated that is depends on how long you've parked it for so aircraft that are in sort of longer term storage you know that could take a couple of weeks whereas short term you know maybe 2 or 3 days And uh, the idea is, you know, you want to have the plane exactly as it was when it got parked in the first place, which is kind of an incredible thing that you can sort of freeze the plane in time like that.
0: Yeah. Reading through your piece, I was really struck by how much of the detail work goes into making sure that you can freeze the plane in time. And one of the things I didn't think about that you wrote in your piece that I, I thought a lot of people grabbed was the the amount of moisture absorption material that needs to go into the aircraft and the engines to keep it from from growing stuff. I think it was 100 kilograms of silica goes into an A380.
2: Right, yeah, and there are these kind of huge versions of the of the kind of moisture absorbent silica that we might have seen in in you know things like electronics or products that we buy. Uh, yeah, fascinating, and yeah, obviously moisture is very bad for the plane. You want to keep it dry. That's another reason why, if possible, planes get parked in dry environments like the desert. You know, especially for longer term storage. You see, all, ma- most of these huge airfields where they park planes where where that's sort of the specialty of the place they are in these deserts usually ideally high deserts so that you've got the dry air and cooler temperatures so yeah you want to keep sort of yeah temperatures down moisture down and there's also the interesting aspect of you know making sure that fungi and other things don't grow in the fuel tanks you know there's a lot to think about obviously
0: yeah i mean the one thing that kind of sticks out in my mind is all of the work that has to go into this in in somewhat of a very particular order. Because obviously you you can't seal up the aircraft and then, you know, take care of the cabin. So kind of walk me through a little bit about all of the maintenance steps that were required. It seems like everyone you talked to said we we have a, a very large book and we're just following it to the letter.
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean, just as with many things to do with aircraft, there's a very clearly defined, well laid out checklist, right? Uh, that happens when you're flying the plane, when you're storing the plane, you name it. And these things have been refined over time. And and as as the VP at uh, Tarmac Aerospace pointed out to me, it's something that gets continuously refined. That as they are doing this more and more, they find ways to sort of talk to the manufacturer and say, look, the, you know, this is something that you can improve this by checking this a little bit more often because this can tend to leak if you leave. It for more than two weeks, that kind of thing, right? so that's another cool thing that this is sort of you know constantly evolving we're constantly understanding, and you know more and more, and especially now because there are so many planes parked and so many have had to be parked rapidly and and they've had to find space and all that, but you know yeah, clearly there's this there's this well defined set of steps, and you know one of the first things you need to do is take the aircraft cabin and just completely go through the whole thing clean it, make sure it's disinfected, make sure you have those anti-moisture elements in there, and basically kind of seal that up. And then you're talking about flight deck as well, same thing, shutting down certain systems, you know, making sure it's it's light tight. You don't want any light getting in, any sun getting in, and especially in the flight deck, but also the cabin. And then once you've sort of sealed down, hermetically sealed the interior to sort of preserve that in time. Then you move on to the exterior where you have, you know, any kind of opening, whether it's the APU in the back or even little sensors where insects or birds might choose to spend their time, make a nest, who knows what. And this can be a problem. You know, there are places that are known for this being a problem, such as Australia. We talked with Qantas and, and didn't get into a whole lot of detail on this aspect, but it's known that in Australia, there are lots of crazy things that like to make nests and, and fill up sensors and that can be a really expensive thing to to try and fix. So, you know, it's it's about that. Then you you then basically seal up the plane on the outside, including the engines. And there are lots of specific steps in between all of this, but but it's basically that, getting the interior kind of locked down and then and then getting any sort of anything that's open on the exterior also, you know, so that nothing can get into it.
0: One of the things that that you didn't necessarily touch on in your piece, but I wanted to know if you had any conversations with the airlines about this. It, was there any logic to how they actually parked the aircraft, not not uh, the, in the order in which they were parked? Was it we're going to park it so that we can get these out first because we think we'll need these first, or was it basically just in the order of storage?
2: Yeah. We didn't get too much into that in terms of detail. Uh, they didn't really want to talk about specifically, okay, this, you know, the, these 10 A320s, we wanted to park them in the shorter term storage because they're newer and we thought they might come back sooner. But that tends to be the case, right? The the airlines, as they're bringing planes back, they're looking to bring back generally the newest ones that need the least heavy maintenance checks and that are the most fuel efficient. In some cases, it's about size. So, you know, you, you're talking, we, we mentioned in the piece how A380s are parked all over the place, and you know, in some cases, we're not sure if they're ever going to come back, depending on on demand, because this is a big plane to fill now with the reduced passenger demand. So I think in general, it seems that the ones that are going to need more maintenance, you know, that are awaiting a big check, or that are older and that you know might have been retired in two years, but they're thinking, well, this might mean that the the retirement gets advanced to now, but you know, kind of staving off that decision by a few months as they see how demand picks up again those are the ones that are getting put into longer term storage and then you know the newer the right sized aircraft for a given airline tends to be the smaller ones you know the 787s the uh things like that that those are getting put in the shorter term storage so that you know they're expecting hoping expecting to be able to bring them back in the next month or two or three so that's about it did you
0: talk at all about or any insight into moving aircraft the other direction? So from short-term storage to well, we're we're not going to bring this one back. It, it's going to live here now, and the changes that need to be taken there.
2: Right. Yeah. Actually, we didn't have time really to get too much into that detail, but that would be interesting to know more about because obviously it's a different set of things that has to happen. There, the aircraft gets you know much more extensively deactivated and 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 sealed up. You know the so. There's things that need to happen, but we didn't really talk in depth about that switch. And I guess that's partly because it hasn't had to happen too much so far. I think you know, right now we're at the point where maybe some airlines are saying, okay, well, these, these 50 planes that we parked back in March, I guess it's time to pull the trigger on the longer term storage because we don't see demand picking up until 2022, for example. In general, that, sort of, that short term parking is good for up to about three months. So yeah, it's a good question. We didn't really, we didn't really look into it too much, but it might be a a worthy subject for a future thing. So
0: right now it's it's the middle of June, so we've really been we're really kind of at the ninety day mark when a lot of airlines started storing their aircraft. So I guess we'll I guess we'll see what happens in the next few weeks, whether or not airlines start to to reactivate. Things just to get them moving again, and then re redo the short term storage solution. Or if we're going to start seeing entrance into longer term storage, and I, I guess that brings a whole a whole set of other uh, uh, challenges.
2: Yeah, I mean, and it is interesting that now we are we are hearing about airlines saying, okay, you know, in in June and July, we're going to bring back seventy planes. 80 planes that kind of thing and we see flight schedules filling up again at least in in North America and in Europe. So th- that's another interesting question like is that because you know say there were these 50 planes that they were going to have to decide whether or not to reactivate or 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 really mothball them for for a longer term and they decided that they'd rather be on the optimistic side and get them flying and see if they can fill them or you know was it just you know they made a decision we we predict that we need these 40 planes and that's that it, it's not such a big a deal to store them for longer if it makes commercial sense you know
0: yeah Gabriel Lee, thank you so much for joining us. Your post is on our blog and we'll put a link in the show notes. Really want everyone to take a look at it because it gets into some great detail about how these aircraft are actually stored and more importantly, how they're stored safely so that they can easily be brought back into the skies safely. Some really good stuff there. And thank you so much for joining us on the podcast this week.
2: Thanks very much.
0: Welcome back. I thought we could get into some of the things that have happened over the past week now outside of uh, of COVID and things like that. The first was a Vietjet uh, A321 went for a walk in the mud. It went mudding. It went mudding. I uh, uh, didn't know fun. you could do that.
1: Yeah. Fun incidents like this where, where no one really gets hurt is, brings me back to the pre-coronavirus days. So much fun. <laughs> And we could look at these things that would happen from time to time, laugh and say, ha, 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 that's unfortunate, but everyone's fine.
0: But everyone's fine. The, the most notable thing about the Vietjet incident last week was not the actual Vietjet incident. It was the EVA A330 behind it that held for
1: five hours. Yeah, why did they do that? Did we ever find out why they didn't just divert literally anywhere else? So, we never found out
0: and and I hope somebody can can tell us. But one of the things that I was thinking about was given all of the COVID restrictions about where you can land and and how you can can do things, maybe it was either hold or return to origin. And if you return to origin, what do you do with all of those people? I mean, given all of the restrictions on who can enter, what testing needs to be done, declarations and things like that, like everyone was all ready to go. So I I guess maybe they decided that the easiest thing to do would be to just keep them in the air and and land when you can.
1: Is a good point. And admittedly, I'm just looking at the fight playback for the first time right now, but they did cross into Cambodian airspace for a while and dropped all the way down to – Ten thousand feet and circled and then turned around and went back to Vietnam. It's possible that maybe they tried landing in Cambodia and the local authorities there would not let them, so they had to turn back to uh, back to Vietnam. That's a very likely scenario.
0: Yeah, I don't know, but it seems to me that that some of the restrictions may have may have played a played a role. Side note: Did there? And we'll put this in the show notes as well. There was a great blog post by the Ops Group, and we've had Ops Group founder Mark Z on, on the program before to talk about how NOTAMs make no sense. But they did a, a great rundown of all of the current restrictions for alternate airports when you're flying across the Atlantic. And it's something that, you know, unless you really work in the industry, you don't really think about all that often. But when you when you file a flight plan, oftentimes you're filing your main flight plan. I want to fly from A to B and, and here are the waypoints and route I want to take. And then I'm also going to file alternate Airfields, in case the my intended destination is unavailable for for whatever reason, and because of COVID, all of these all of these airports now have very specific landing restrictions. You know, you can't use it as an alternate. You can use it as an alternate, but you have to call before you you know, listed as your alternate, or you have to call before you're going to land. It's only open for certain hours. Only the captain can get out of the plane if you do land. So all sorts of really interesting stuff. And so we'll link to that in the show notes, a really interesting article. If you're into the you know real nuts and bolts of aviation, I, I thought it was pretty fascinating. Cool. Up next, we have a new airline, because when you think great ideas at the present moment, you think new airlines, right? What could go wrong? What could go wrong? Yeah. So a Swiss startup fly Bear, not to be confused with fly chair or, or just chair airlines, which is another Swiss airline Flybear is aiming to start in July and will operate two routes. They had wanted to launch earlier, but you know, things got in the way. So I, Fly Air is next? Air Airlines? I don't know. Air Air. Air Air. I mean, or DARE. DARE Airlines?
1: Yeah. DARE Airlines? I I don't know. Let's be honest. It is never a particularly good time to start up an airline. This is a particularly bad time to start up an airline. (laughs) I yeah. There's been some bad instances recently. Uh Starlux out of Taiwan very recently started up right in, in the beginning of, of uh COVID spinning up in Asia. I think Tai Vietjet, I love that name, Tai Viet Jet was was start was supposed to start up in the second quarter as well. So it, it's not unique to fly bear, but this is uh I, I like the name.
0: Well you've got chair, bear, I don't know what's coming next, but in in any case we'll uh We'll see what happens with them, a couple of uh, E-190s that they've got. What else is happening? Ooh, we have a 737 Max update. Is it a good one? Depends on who you ask, I guess, but it it could be good for the 737 Max
1: program. Yeah. It's been a very long time since we've had any positive Max news.
0: Our esteemed colleague John Ashar over at the air current is reporting that the certification flight for the seven three seven Max is likely to take place by the end of June. Stop me if you've heard this before. Exactly, but it's John reporting it, so I believe that his sources believe it.
1: Yes, that exactly right. I believe that the people he is talking to believe it is coming, but we have heard this since. January that it's any day any week now and here we are well into uh, the year where almost mid- right. we are mid year here and there has not been a certification flight so fingers crossed we'll see but at this point the max is of the least of the concerns airlines who have purchased the max have
0: yeah so so that that's likely to happen in the next couple of weeks we believe and then. The other part of John's piece I thought was really the more interesting piece is that the European regulators pushed for and and Boeing agreed to add additional safety mechanisms after the recertification of the aircraft. So they're going to recertify the aircraft with the the changes to the software and, and the hardware that they've already made. And then they'll continue making changes to add the synthetic airspeed onto the max which if they had added it in the first place would have required simulator training for the 737 MAX, which is what the whole certification endeavor in the initial stages sought to avoid, but is now going to happen anyway because simulator training is going to be required once the aircraft is recertified.
1: Yeah, along with every other pilot in the world who needs to be put in the simulator to be recertified. So that will be taking some time. Yeah, and, well, uh, at least we'll, we'll see where it pretty goes. much every airline in the world has had a uh, a course in crisis communications at this point with COVID. So uh, when when they have to explain the, the max coming back at the surface, they'll have some practice on how to effectively communicate to passengers who are worried. I, I certainly hope so.
0: A bit of good news in your neck of the woods. The, the so explain this to me. What opened at LaGuardia? Because it's called something and I would like clarification on why it is called this.
1: Officially, it is known as the arrivals and departures hall, but unofficially, this is, it is not labeled as such. It is called the head house, which is as just as it is called the the part of the terminal you go into to check in, go through security, to reclaim your bags, to find your way to public transportation or taxis or whatever. I don't know what, why it's called the head house. I guess because it's at the, the head of the, the building that everyone goes uh, through it in and out. You can't get into the terminal or out of it without going through there. But that is what opened at LaGuardia most recently. Last year, they had opened one pier of the new terminal, which is very, very nice for LaGuardia. It's not world class, but it is nice for a, a domestic airports. But now they've opened the the arrivals and departures hall, which looks very nice, but also very empty right now because there's really not many people flying. Yeah. That happened. That's good. It is Uh, good. Yeah. It's going to take a while to get the uh, second pier, the second half of the gate areas in that new terminal. But then we're still years away from the full completion with the two Delta terminals being redone independently. But good news is good news, especially when it comes to LaGuardia. And we'll take it where we can get it. Exactly.
0: Let's see. What else? Oh, the update on the Pakistan International Airlines A320 crash investigation. Airbus released a a letter to A320 operators. The, let's see and uh, beginning of june Um, so right after we recorded last last time basically saying that after reviewing the flight data recorder and the cockpit voice recorder airbus has no immediate safety information to convey to any of the a320 operators so there's there was no there was no learning from that that was related to the a320 specifically that any of the operators needed to act upon so obviously the investigation is ongoing but there there were no immediate safety concerns with the
1: aircraft that that operators need to to be aware of well that's certainly news i don't know if that's good or bad but it is news it is news
0: and then the last bit of news is one kind of the one of those oh yeah i guess that makes sense kind of things but alcohol on aircraft has been one of the casualties of covid As we have seen a variety of airlines stop serving alcohol as part of their services during this particular time in order to, I guess, have people keep their masks on as much as possible and make sure that uh, folks are not spending too much time in the lavatories.
1: Yeah, I think it has more to do with the the distribution of it on board since a lot of airlines have shifted to handing passengers items as they board the plane in the jet bridge or in the gate area. So they'll give you uh, a little plastic baggie of a Biscoff cookie and napkins and a bottle of water. And they're not really doing any distribution of these items once you're already on the aircraft. Uh, So there really isn't a service on board to get to Distribute these items, and I don't think it's really appropriate to like as you're walking down the jet bridge for a, a gate agent to like hand you a, a bottle of, of whiskey as much as I would love that, and that would be amazing. They're probably not going to do that
0: in normal times. I would have loved for that to have happened. Oh, that'd be great.
1: You <laughs> scan your boarding pass, and like the little scanner just pops out a little bottle of whiskey. That'd be amazing. That uh, would be probably not great. But that is more of what I uh, equate this to because it's still available up in, in premium cabins in first class uh, by request. But down right, right. Economy, it hasn't completely gone away. Yeah. yeah. Down yeah. in an economy, you're going to have to deal with good old H2O. <laughs> I guess we can use that as a barometer of when things start to return to normal. When will the alcohol be flowing again? There you go. Well, airport lounges, airline lounges are starting to very slowly reopen with precautions in place, so that's one signal that things are extremely slowly returning to normal.
0: We will get there eventually, right? Sure. Okay. Let's stop there with new news. We'll go into me apologizing because you are all too wonderful and and by you, I mean all of the people listening. Last episode, we said, leave us a review. We want to hear from you, which was absolutely true, and we will send you a t-shirt, which was also absolutely true. So many of you left a review, and thank you for all of you, especially the ones that were extremely detailed. I'm still working my way through all of them. Now we're dealing with figuring out how to send out all of these t-shirts, and we are going to have to order more to fulfill all of these things. So, so if, if you've already written a review, thank you. If you haven't, we certainly encourage you to continue to, to review the podcast, uh, and, and we'd love for you to do that. We're gonna cut off the t-shirts for right now. We're gonna send t-shirts out to everyone as quickly as possible. It will take some time to get through. It's just me doing this, so please be patient, but but you will get your t-shirt. And then we'll come back with some other things that you can get your hands on as far as Flight Rated 24 swag as we kind of move through the rest of the year. So thank you for everyone. Please be patient with me as I get everything out the door. I will work as quickly as I can to do that. I'm going to be very friendly with my local post office by the time this is done, I am sure.
1: Fantastic.
0: Yes. I'm going to make Jason do all the work is, I think, what I've just decided here.
1: And I'm now. just reading through the reviews now and and I, I just want to call out the one that says, uh, second best aviation podcast, four stars. What's your favorite podcast? What's number one? I'm genuinely interested. So If you left that review, send us an email and I want, Jay, I want to Jason doesn't listen one. to this podcast. What makes what makes you think he's going to listen to it?
0: I just want to know <laughs> what it is. There you go. So yes, thank you to everyone. You will get your swag. It, it might swag be slow will be had. I will swag hold will Ian accountable. Yes. So so thank you everyone. We were uh, blown away by your your generosity with your reviews and uh, and and your kind words. So so thank you everyone for that. This has been episode 87 of AvTalk. I
1: am Ian Petchnik here, as always, with Jason Rabinowitz and Ian Get to Mailing Some T shirts. <laughs> Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you
0: next time.